Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Well, today we're going to be beginning a new teaching series called The Secret Battle of Ideas About God. And we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. If you have a Bible, you can turn there right now. And over the next seven weeks, what we plan to do is we plan to spend time exploring some of life's greatest questions. Some of these questions that that we have are questions like, Number one, am I loved? Why do I hurt? Does my life have meaning? You know, we're all asking that question. Does my life have meaning? After this week up at the Capitol building, a lot of us are asking, why can't we all get along? And is there hope for, the, for this world? These are questions that are very relevant to our lives right now. The whole world is asking these things. And you know, there are a lot, have you, rec- have you realized that there are, are a lot of deceptive voices in our world? And they are seeking to speak into these questions. They're, they're, they're seeking to shape our lives by offering answers and solutions to these pressing questions about life. And so we want to spend the next seven weeks not only exposing the falsehoods of many of those who are speaking into these areas of life, but we also want to equip ourselves with truths from God's Word, because it's the truths in God's Word that brings true life, that brings true hope, and that gives us true direction. And if you've been around Reach Life for any amount of time, hopefully you've heard me say that the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is primarily, it's primarily about relationships. And have you ever noticed that relationships are diff- can be difficult at times? Those of you who have lived and been in relationships, have you ever noticed that, that they get messy, that they're difficult, that they take a lot of energy, they, they take patience, they take perseverance? You know, that's why a lot of people don't want to be around anybody. That's why isolation for a lot of us is very attractive, because in, in one sense, you don't have to deal with a lot of the drama that that is involved when you get together with people. But yet, you know, God has created the church to be together, to be in relationship. And when we get close to each other, that's when we realize, you know what? Relationships are difficult. Relationships are messy. And you know, when I first got married, I realized that, we realized that, Kelly and I realized that, didn't we? Because, you know, one of the things that I used to do to her was I would drive her crazy. I still do, but this is an area that I hope I've grown in. I would drive her crazy because I would always have all these ideas that I wanted to do. Does it, is anyone else in here around someone that has ideas that are just crazy and they're always giving ideas and it's like driving you crazy? Kelly used to get freaked out by all the ideas that I had because if I did them, it would have crashed our family, our, our marriage. For example... Uh, I had this idea. Actually, I think I still like this idea. I didn't do it, but 20 years, 20 some years ago, I had the idea of building a metal building that's about 75 feet wide, 
about 150 feet long. And on one end of it, we would build our house. We would live in it. And the rest of it would be a gymnasium. How many of you, is that a great idea for anybody? That is, that is awesome. Ministry, I mean, it, uh, Kelly didn't think it was a great idea, but I still think it's a great idea. And we might do it, not this year, but anyway. But, you know, the, the point I'm trying to make here is that uh, over time, she realized that I'm just a dreamer. I, I like to, to think, I like to brainstorm out loud. She realized that every idea that I had, I wasn't going to do. But, you know, according to Jeff Myers, Life is about ideas. Life is about ideas, and ideas, if you act upon them, have consequences. And so there are some ideas that are really good. They, they lead to life and prosperity. And then there are some ideas that are not so good. They're not necessarily sin, but they're just not wise. They, don't, they, they keep you stuck where, you, where you're at. They don't help you to move forward. They keep you going around in circles. And and those are not so good ideas. And then there are ideas that are toxic and lethal. And they are like viruses that lead to sickness and death in our lives. And as disciples of Jesus, we've got to be able to distinguish between good and not so good and deadly ideas. Because as Jeff Myers says, life is about ideas and ideas lead us to action and our actions have consequences. Now, this morning I have two questions that I want to answer um, as we are here together. The first one is this, how as a church do we discern whether an idea is a good idea or a bad idea? Or if it is a vaccine, or if it is a virus? How do we discern that? Secondly, how do we vaccinate ourselves from deadly ideas? Is it warm in here? Good. I want your hearts to be warmed. I want your minds to be warmed. So those are the two questions I want us to answer this morning. How do we vaccinate ourselves from deadly ideas? How do we discern whether an idea is a vaccine or a virus? And the good news is that this morning our passage speaks to that, these two questions. We're going to be in, like I said earlier, we're going to be in Romans 2. And just to give you a little bit of context about Romans, the first chapters, verses chapter 1 through 11, the Apostle Paul spends time preaching the gospel Preaching, he spends 11 chapters setting up and preaching the gospel to his hearers. And the first thing he, he tells us is that we are all equal. We are all equal. And you know how we're all equal? Not just because we were created in the image of God, but because we all have rebelled against and rejected God. He says that in chapter 1 that we are all in, in the need of a Savior because of the wrath of God that is coming. And the good news, he gets to the good news, and he says that God in his mercy has offered us forgiveness through faith in Jesus, his Son. And those who receive this offer are given several things. I want you to listen to what we receive when we believe in Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. We receive in the eternal inheritance. This is the, the life after, the renewed earth, the kingdom of heaven that we get to be a part of. We also receive future glory. We will be glorified. We will get, listen, 
glorified bodies. Does that sound like a good thing to anybody? A new and glorified body? And here's, here's one of the greatest gifts of believing in the gospel. We get God's everlasting love. We get to know the love of God. And so what Paul does for 11 chapters is he reminds us that we don't deserve, we shouldn't be sitting at the table feasting with God, but yet God has not given us what we deserve. He's given us grace. And so what I want to point out in just this whole setup here is that when we get into our verses this morning, Paul is going to give us some instructions, some imperatives of things that we need to be doing. But before he does that, he wants to remind us of what God has already done for us. That is how we always, before you obey God, before you do anything for God, you need to understand and be reminded of what he has done for you because this is where you're going to find the motivation. This is where you're going to find the power to do the things that he has called you to do. And so that's what Paul does in the first 11 chapters. And we're going to get into Romans chapter 12, verse 1. Let's pick up there and hear the word of God. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Now, you'll notice here the word appeal. That word appeal means to strongly urge. It means to plead with or to beg with. And so basically what Paul is doing here, he's saying in light of chapters 1 and 11, in light of God's mercies, in light of all that he has done for you, I beg you, I plead with you before the living God that you would present yourself. Come to God, present yourself fully, surrender yourself to him as a living Sacrifice. Now, what is a living sacrifice? Now, in the Old Testament, they offered sacrifices. And in order to offer a sacrifice, it had to be killed. It had to be killed and put on the altar. Paul says you need to be a living sacrifice. What does that mean? It means that, he's, that God is calling us on a daily basis to lay down our lives. Another way to say it is to die daily. That is what Paul says and is begging us to do by the mercies of God. And then he says, which is your spiritual act of worship. Now that word spiritual, that word spiritual also means reasonable. He's saying that after all that God has done for you, he sacrificed his son. He has forgiven you of your rebellion and rejecting him. After all, and he's given us a kingdom and he's given us one another. All the gifts that have come through the gospel. He's saying, you know what the most reasonable thing for you to do is to offer yourself to him as a living sacrifice. Offer all of you, your heart, your mind, your soul, your spirit. Come to him before the Lord as a living sacrifice on a daily Basis. He continues in verse 2 and he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by the testing, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
Now remember, now remember, the question that we are seeking to answer this morning is, how do we discern whether an idea is good or bad, whether it's a vaccine or a virus? Paul is saying we need discernment. And in verse 2, the answer to this, the way that we get discernment, is by the renewal of our minds. The renewal, the daily renewal of our minds. We're, we're in a war, and... Many of us don't realize this. We are in a daily war where our mind, listen, our mind is the battlefield. And it is a battle of what ideas are going to rule in your mind. Because whatever ideas rule in your mind are going to rule in your life. Jeff Myers, again, he says, you live in the crosshairs of a secret battle of ideas. The enemy's objective is to win this battle for your mind. Satan knows your life will reflect the ideas you adopt. In fact, it's likely this battle has already affected you, though you may not realize it. Bad ideas are floating around us like infectious diseases. These ideas sicken us and worse, make us contagious. We can spread idea viruses. Doesn't this sound very familiar to to us today and just all that we've been dealing with in the world? We can spread idea viruses without even realizing that we ourselves have fallen victim to them. You know, there is, again, there is a war. There is a war that's going on for the control of our our, our minds, control for our worldviews. And, you know, everyone has a worldview. Everybody has a worldview. It's the lens in which you view the world that you live in. And it's, it's like a watchman. Last week, I talked about a watchman standing on the, the top of, of the wall guarding the city. It's like a watchman uh, that, is, that monitors what's coming in. And it's, it's, it's there to expose and to alert us to any ideas that appear to be destructive. That's what our worldview should do. But if our worldview is flawed, if our worldview is faulty, then the filter will not properly work. And like a sponge, we can unknowingly absorb destructive ideas if our worldview is not correct. And I want you to listen to this. We are either, you're in two camps you're either being conformed to the pattern of this world or you're being transformed by the renewal of your mind. You're in one of the camps. You're being conformed or you are being transformed by the renewing of your, of your minds. And Paul, he is in in this verses one and two, he is pleading with the church. He's saying, don't let your mind, don't let your worldview be conformed to the pattern of this world. Now, what does it mean? We can use all this terminology, but what does it mean to be conformed to something? Well, the conformed mind is one that is being shaped and molded. It's being shaped and molded by the values and concepts and ideologies imposed on us by the world or by the culture in which we live. And these are viruses that are always working. Here's what, what conforming is. It's, it's taking you, it's taking your mind, and it's trying to force and to squeeze you 
into its mold. It's trying to force you into its worldview. And the thing that's why this is so dangerous is because the worldview of the world of this culture is opposed to God's worldview. It's opposed to God himself. And again, we all have a worldview. So let me ask you this, which worldview influences you? Which worldview is influencing you the most? Because we all have one. And and over the next few weeks, we're going to be exploring five of the most widespread influential worldviews, which are incorrect, which can be deadly to our faith. And I want to go over them real quick right now. I've got a list of them. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to unpack them. The first one is secularism, which claims that we can use human intelligence to control life and make it turn out the way that we want to. It's it's our, our knowledge, it's our intelligence that is what controls the direction of the world, of of life. Secondly is Marxism. Marxism. Um, At its foundation, it declares that life is about capital and that the true path to peace and equality is through the overthrow of all existing social structures. You, you following me? It's the overthrow of social structures, which include government, economic systems, the nuclear family, and religion. Postmodernism is the third one that we're going to be looking at, which insists that objective truth, um, absolute truth, doesn't exist. That absolute truth doesn't exist. Only subjective truths, which we create ourselves. You've heard, uh, you can't tell me what, what's true and what's not true. My truth is my truth. Your truth is your truth. That's found in postmodernism. Fourthly, there's new spirituality spirituality, which rejects God and asserts that a higher consciousness of God or, or, or God force is at the core of reality. And number five, we're going to be looking at Islam, which at its core teaches that everyone must conform to Islamic truth or be conquered through jihad, which is the struggle against anything opposed to Allah, their prophet, and, uh, Allah and, and their prophet. So, Last week or a week uh, before, I sent out a survey and to, to test us to see if you've been influenced by this, the world's thinking. And it's interesting, um, 13%, and this is to our church, 13% of us have been affected or have been influenced by secularism, 3% Marxism, 13% postmodernism, new spirituality, 16%, and 0%, none of us are Muslims. So that's, that's good to know uh, at Reach Life. So not that we wouldn't want Muslims to come here. We want, to, we want all people to come here. We want people to hear the truth so that they can know the love of God and Christ, that's found in Christ Jesus. But, you know, each of these worldviews attempts to communicate to us, to us truths about God, truths about what is right and wrong, truths about life, the soul, society and government, law, money, and history. And here's what they do. They don't just come right at you full, full force. They mix truth in it. 
they, they often mix biblical truths in, and, and that's why they can so powerfully influence, influence us without us realizing it. So this leads me to our second question, which is, what is the solution? How do we vaccinate ourselves against worldviews that are so deadly? Well, let's look at verse 2 again in our passage. Do not be conformed to this world. Okay, that was, that's the, the command. Don't let this world press you into its mold. And the question we're asking now is how? Well, Paul explains, be transformed. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What is the solution? How can we guard ourselves from the deadly worldviews? By being transformed. And you know, the Greek word for that, that we, that's translated here as transformed is the same word from which we derive our English word metamorphosis. Metamorphosis, which means it's the process or of transformation from an immature form to an adult form in two or more distinct stages. It's going from immaturity to maturity in distinct stages. And you know, two of the best examples of metamorphosis are tadpoles to frogs and caterpillars to butterflies. I can remember when I was young, we had this pond in our backyard that was uh, full of all different kinds of critters, and frogs were one of them. And I can remember going to the pond and scooping up a handful of these like uh, uh, slimy frog, clusters of slimy frog eggs. How many of you guys ever have ever done that? It's amazing. You know, over time, uh, these eggs will hatch, and they will turn into what? Tadpoles. They'll go into tadpoles, and then they will, over time, grow legs and cr crawl onto the surface of the earth, and eventually they will become adult frogs. Isn't that amazing? Um, it's going from immaturity to maturity in stages. It's a process. And in the world of discipleship, in the, in the Christian world, we call this process the process of what? Sanctification. It's, it's a process of sanctification. And it's, it, it's a process that truly transforms us. It truly transforms us to be more like Jesus from the inside out. So we want to we wanna understand that when you're being conformed, it's the outside trying to get to the end. Transformation is from the inside out. And this happens when you come to Christ and you put your faith in him. He fills us with his Holy Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit, now listen, this is the, this is the, the key to, to growing, is to understand that, that it is the Holy Spirit inside of us bringing forth inward transformation that produces outward changes. And Jesus calls this bearing fruit. I, I want to stop here and just make sure I'm making some, my, myself clear here. This is not about us making ourselves better people. This is not about trying harder. This is actually about yielding to God and allowing him to do a transformative work 
in our hearts. We've got to grasp this because what God wants to do, he doesn't want to make you a better person. He wants to uh, transform you into the image of his son to look more and more like Jesus, to live more and more like Jesus through your personality that he has given you. And that is the difference between being conformed and being transformed. And if, you know, if we're talking about oppression, if we're talking about racism, if we're talking about failed marriages, poverty, whatever the issue is that you're, you're talking about, that you want to see transformation in or you want to see change in, let me ask you something. What is your answer? What is your answer to the, what's going to change the things that you're concerned about? Because we're all concerned about different things. What do you truly see to be the solution? Is it government? If it's government, then you're going to be all up in, oh my word, if it's government, if it's money, when your bank account's low, you're going to be all up in, in arms. It's not, what is, your, what is the solution? Because, and it's crucial to know this, because if your answer does not include heart transformation, then you are simply, listen, you're simply trying to put lipstick on the lips of a chicken. My point is, it's not going to stick. It's not going to bring about true change. It's not going to bring about true transformation. And so the good thing is that the Word of God teaches that you can be transformed. This is what this passage is teaching. There is hope in Christ Jesus to be truly transformed from the inside out. And we need to remember that it's a process, that it, and that it takes time. And that's helpful to understand, church, because when you come into a church, you should see eggs, you should see uh, tadpoles, you should see tadpoles with legs, and then you should see frogs that are, that are maturing. The only time the frog doesn't mature is when it's dead, okay, and it goes to heaven. But there should be this process that is continuing to go on in, in the churches and in, in our lives. And if we have that mindset, realizing it's a process, then we're going to be patient, more patient with one another. We're all in different stages. And, we're, and our goal is to help encourage one another. Keep growing. Keep allowing the Holy Spirit to transform you through the gospel. But you know, God is not going to do this against your will. There is a pro, there's a part of this that we have a, a part in, and God is not going to do this against your will. He is not going to drag us kicking and screaming and saying, you're going to be like Jesus. I'm going to make you like Jesus. No, you have to yield yourself. You have a, a, a part to play in it. We have a role to cooperate with God by the renewing of our minds. So how do we renew our minds? Okay. That's, that's what I want to answer here. How do we renew our minds? How do we replace or inoculate ourselves from idea viruses? Well, in Jesus's highly, high priestly prayer in John 17, he's praying for his disciples. I want us to look at what he says about how we are to do this. He's praying to the Father in heaven. He says, I have given them your word. He's talking to about his disciples. He's saying, Father, I gave your word to, the, to your disciples, and they did not reject it. How do we know that they didn't reject it? They took it, and then they obeyed it. They took it, they believed it, and they obeyed it. He says, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world. The world hates the followers of Christ because we will, we will not be conformed into its mold. We, will not, we, we resist, by the word of God, being 
conformed into this world's mold. The words of Jesus have insulated us. And Jesus says, they are not of this world just as I am not of the world. And then he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world. This isn't, this is, we've got to re- remember this. This is extremely important. God is not saving us and putting us up, up on a mountain somewhere out of the world. He wants us to be in the world. He says, I'm not saying come out of the world, but that you would keep them from the, the evil one, that you would protect them, that you would vaccinate them, that you would ins- uh, protect them from the evil one. Verse 16, he says, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And then verse 17 is the answer. Sanctify them. Sanctify means to set apart in the truth. Let truth protect them. Let truth guard their minds. Truth, things that are absolutely, objectively true. And then he goes on to explain what truth is. He says, your word is truth. How do we renew our minds? How do we vaccinate ourselves? How do we make ourselves bulletproof as we are called to engage with this world? world? Simply through the word of Christ. Colossians 3.16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. 1 Peter 2.2 says, like newborn infants long for the spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. Grow, see the process? Grow up into salvation. Matthew 7, 24, the, the words of Christ from his mouth. Everyone then who hears these, what? Words of mine. And then what? Does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And you know, if we are going to leave our Christian bubbles and safely engage with our culture as disciples of Jesus, we have got to put aside our complacency. We have got to repent. We have got to, as Jesus says, wake up. There is a work, listen church, there is a work not to be saved, but there is a work to grow in sanctification that we have a part in. If we are going to grow, we have to do our part. We have to position ourselves to grow. Now, God is the one that brings about that growth, but we have to do our part. And that is by abiding in, devouring, prayerfully saturating our minds and our hearts, meditating upon the living and life-giving words of God. Trusting in God's truth found in in God's word provides us with this uh, rock-solid foundation, and it insulates us, it protects us, it vaccinates us from the worldviews that lead to death. It actually leads us to life. And this is so important, church, because We were not called to stay here. We were not called to stay here. Now, we were called to gather, but it's so that we can go back out. And where we're going back out is a dark world. And that world seeks to convince us and all those who are in it that love isn't real, 
that your suffering is meaningless, that your lives don't have real purpose, that you are alone, and that it is unavoidable to live apart from being in despair. That is what this world is constantly trying to conform us into and push upon us. And the truth is that life, the truth is that life loses its meaning when you reject God. This is what the writer of Ecclesiastes found out. He said, meaningless, meaningless, everything is meaningless apart from God. And so what we have come to know is that a Jesus gospel-centered worldview is the only view that offers and delivers true heart transformation, eternal love, meaning, and purpose, and the ability to boldly, confidently declare five truths. Number one truth is that I'm loved. The gospel teaches us we are loved. The cross is undeniable proof that deep, unconditional love exists, and it is available. Secondly, that my suffering is not meaningless. We all suffer. All of us suffer in different forms and fashions. But it's not meaningless. God uses it to transform us. And because Jesus has overcome, we who are in Christ also will overcome. We will not be hurt ultimately by our suffering. We will win. Number three, the gospel teaches us that I have a calling on my life. You have a calling on your life. Because you bear the image of God, God has called you to himself for you to know him. And in knowing him, you find your purpose, you find true meaning of life, which is only found in Jesus. Amen? Number four, the gospel teaches us that I am meant for community. I'm not meant to live by myself. I am meant to walk with other believers in Christ. And I'm also, the gospel teaches us that conflict can be resolved and overcome, and that relational peace is obtainable. So we can say that we we know that we are meant for community. And lastly, it teaches us that we can live with hope. I can live with hope because of the gospel. We are not doomed I know that when we, when we look at what's going on in this world, that, doesn't, that truth doesn't seem to be true, does it, when you look at the world? But when you focus on God, when you put your uh, mind on the things above, when you put your mind on Christ and his love for you, we are reminded that what is right, what is just, and what is true will ultimately win. And that is, and we know this because Jesus has been raised from the dead. And because he has been raised from the dead, we will also triumph over death. So, in closing, who or what are you presenting yourself to? Are you being conformed to the pattern of this world? Are you allowing the world to shape your thinking? your feelings, what's important? Or are you being transformed 
by the renewing of your mind through the word of Christ? Are you maturing? Are you developing more and more? Are you looking more and more like Jesus in the midst of these trials that we face? By the renewing of your mind. Well, let me encourage you this morning that if you have never come to Jesus, if you've never received him into your life, I want to just say this morning that today is your day. Today is your day to come to Christ and to fall at his feet and to acknowledge his, his lordship and to acknowledge and to realize that he died for you, that he is alive and that he wants to come and live in you. He wants to begin that transformation process in your heart. He wants to bring you life and hope that is found in him and fellowship with his people. I want to encourage you, if that's you, I want to encourage you, call out to him today because the scripture teaches that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved in faith. And to the church, to the rest of us, um, where are you at right now? What are you, who or what are you, have you been presenting yourself to recently? Are you actively renewing your mind? Are you growing into maturity? I know if you are in him, he has been speaking to you this morning because we've preached his word. We've spoken his word. What has he told you this morning? I want to encourage you, whatever that is, to respond to him, to take a step forward, to grow, and to be transformed into his image. Amen? Let's pray together. Jesus, as, as your church, we know that um, we have come to know through personal relationship with you that you are the way. We know that you are the truth. You are reality. And we know that you are the life, that you give life. We know that you are the bread of life. You have fed us. You are the living water. You have quenched our thirst. And you are the light of the world. You have brought light into our darkness. And Lord, once again, we have been reminded this week that we live in a broken world, a broken and chaotic world that is characterized by darkness and blindness and hopelessness. We are reminded that this world desperately needs you. We desperately need you. And and you have placed us in this world with the message that brings true life, that brings true hope, that brings true transformation, that brings reconciliation with you and with one another because the kingdom of God is about relationships. And the good news is that you are, your arms are open wide to any who would come and respond to your message, to come to you, to turn from sin, come to you, find forgiveness, be filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered to begin life transformation. Father, I pray that you would transform us by the renewal of our minds, that by, the, that by testing we may discern what is your will, what is good and acceptable and perfect. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.